you're rocking the, the jet green right now. Adam Sandler. Right. Number one, you were Rich Eisen. The second movie, I see Brad Hirschberg <laughs> being your father. Dennis Miller. The autumn wind is caused by global warming. <laughs> Uh, a legend in the booth, Jim Brockmeyer. I do love watching Tebow play. I mm-hmm. gotta say, he just he combines all the fiery leadership of Ray Lewis with the uh, with the throwing ability of Ray Lewis. <laughs> and uh... I don't download many podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the Rich Eisen podcast. Here's your host, Rich Eisen. Welcome to the latest edition of the Rich Eisen Podcast, presented by Bud Light. 17 regular season weeks are in the books. 12 teams remain. It is time for the playoffs, and it is time for a playoff edition of this podcast, which means we got to step up our game. And I'm glad that Chris Law, my podcast producer on the audio side, is all rested and relaxed. Welcome back from vacation, sir. Thank you, Rich. Chris Brockman, back. my television producer, who I lost to eight games on the Thursday Night Football. He's back, rested and relaxed. It's good to like have him. forever ago. It's good to be back. And now I've got, uh, I'm not rested and relaxed. What's up with that? That's why you get paid the big Is that what it is? Okay, very good. <laughs> well, we've got uh, we've got 12 teams that are remaining. Um, the wild card matchups, the Atlanta Falcons taking on the New York Giants, the Detroit Lions taking on the New Orleans Saints, a rematch of Week 13 when Indomitian Sue was serving his first game of his two-game foot-stomping suspension, and Drew Brees beat the Lions along with the Saints uh, by the tune of two touchdowns. And that is the Saturday night game. The Falcons and Giants is the Sunday early afternoon game. The Saturday first wild card game of the weekend, the Cincinnati Bengals at the Houston Texans. Chris Brockman, you're shaking your head because who'd have thought it? Andy Dalton against TJ Yates. I'm not sure exactly uh, the football gods drew that one up. Can you believe that? Unreal. A rookie wide receiver, rookie quarterback. It's crazy. And and, But TJ Yates, the last game that he won – the last game that Houston won, period, was the the game where they clinched the AFC South, and um, he took care of business in the final seconds against Cincinnati, which had Houston right where it wanted him the entire game. So this is going to be an interesting first game of the wild card weekend, which means either Cincinnati or TJ Yates led Houston Texans is going to be a divisional playoff team, um, either at uh, Baltimore, which is where Houston would go if it wins. Uh, or Cincinnati at New England, which is where N- New England uh, wants it to go, as opposed to Pittsburgh. Or, right. you know, I, I don't think anybody really believes, which is the uh, uh, Sunday afternoon game, the final game of the weekend, uh, Pittsburgh at Denver. I don't think anybody believes that that the Broncos are going to pull this thing off. Why not, though? You really believe so? Is that's not the the Patriot fan and you talking right there, Chris Brogman? Because in all seriousness, I mean, come on, man. I mean, it it is Denver's defense not terrible. Ben Roethlisberger can barely walk. Oh, I'm not. Here's the deal. I guess there's a, there is a possibility right. here. But the the Broncos have lost three in a row. The last time that Tebow won was the last time Tebow time showed up against the Chicago Bears, right. which a lot of people would point to had Marion Bar- Marion Barber not run out of bounds. This would be four losses in a row for Denver. And San Diego uh, would be going to the playoffs right now, if you know, or I guess Oakland. I don't know what would have happened if if Denver was seven and nine. If a heads up, uh, but the bottom line is Denver's going, and Pittsburgh is playing them. Those are the four games this weekend, and we'll be talking about all of that on this podcast today with uh, uh, Tony Gonzalez, 
right? We got him teed up Tony first. Tony Gonzalez, yep, from uh, Falcons Cam. Okay, we got them wound up. Uh, also, Brian Williams, NBC Nightly News, big giant fan. Big so giant. I guess it's that we've got that game very well represented. Uh, as Brian Williams talking about the Giants and uh, he's Tony a, he's Gonzalez a funny about guy the other. He's been on Thirty Rock a few times. Yeah. He does. Well, does didn't he do Saturday like Saturday Night Live? Fallon didn't he do some sort of like rapping on Fallon? Yep. He's yeah, done he's that. Got a good self-deprecating. He's a, he's a funny guy. Yeah, he he is a funny and and he's you know big sports fan. Calling in in the middle of the Iowa caucuses, by the way. Yes, is when he did that. That's um. So that was a fun time, fun conversation with him. Uh, Michael Lombardi. There's lots to talk about with him because a lot of people always say to me. What do you do in the offseason on NFL Network? And I laugh. I scoff. And I laugh. Right. Because you guys all know that once the season ends, all 32 teams become news again. Right. And, and, and how as the season, regular season, dwindles down, fewer and fewer teams have relevance because they've dropped out of the playoffs. For instance, the St. Louis Rams, how much have we talked about them over the last six to eight weeks? Very little, little. St. Louis Rams discussion. Now... They've blown out their coach. They've blown out their general manager. They are news. The Indianapolis Colts, we have not talked about them very much other than just like what will they do with Peyton Manning, which is the topic of discussion the last you know three or four weeks. But between weeks 8 and 14, how much are we talking about the, the Colts? Now they have blown out the Polians. Uh, Jim Caldwell is going to stay. The Chicago Bears uh, are, are relevant in the fact right now, even though they have not made the playoffs because they have blown out their general manager. But Lovey Smith is staying. All of these things need to be discussed with Michael Lombardi, including the Jets, man. What's going on? That was that was ugly. I mean, of, of all of, the Jets uh, are are in total disarray from what all the reports are out of New York. Um, and I know you're I know you're you're not too displeased with that, too, right? You're, you're you all you Patriot fans are 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 in full glee mode over that, correct? Chris Brockman? Correct. Okay, very good. And what you have to say? It's, it's surprising that Rex didn't know why Santonio wasn't in the game, either. Yeah, I know. And 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 why didn't Rex know why Santonio was in the game? Why wasn't Santonio benched to begin with? Yeah, if it was if he was, the fourth if he, quarter. If, well, no, just benched, period. Why was he playing? Yeah. I mean, if 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 you have your, your star-wide receiver um, mouthing off to the quarterback— even if he is in the right, he's mouthing off to the quarterback in front of the rest of the room, quarterbacks and wide receiver meetings. And apparently Sanchez called a meeting that, that, that uh, for the next day that Holmes did not attend. How, I mean, if that was yeah. in Tom Coughlin's house, right? Or if there, how many other coaches, if that was in Belichick's house? Or Mike Tom. What's interesting Tom, you know what I mean? Like you keep saying that. And that's the whole thing about Rex is at this point last year, we were singing his praises about how he got the Jets back into the playoffs again. Then he comes up with a plan not only to knock off Peyton Manning, but then uh, Tom Brady in back-to-back weeks. And he's got his finger clearly on the pulse of this team. Now everyone's wondering, what, what's he doing there? And is his, is, his, is his style of coaching working? And then Greg McElroy, the third-string quarterback, who obviously you'd think he would definitely have Sanchez's back, right? I mean, he probably hangs out with Sanchez quite a bit. But he went on the radio um, in in Alabama, you know, because he's a big Crimson Tide guy. Uh, said he called it the first time I've ever been around extremely selfish individuals. I think that's maybe the nature of the NFL, but there were people within our locker room that didn't care whether we won or lost as long as they got theirs. They really, as long as they had a really good game individually, and that's the disappointing thing. Wow. Is what he says. So, I mean, and you wonder how in the world they were able to win eight games. 
So if the offense is the problem in New York, not the defense. But Schottenheimer's getting interviewed well, the possibly de- as a Jags I coach. I know, I know. But the defense is also a problem there, too. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. The, the safety play there was was, was uh, substandard, certainly when Jim, Jim Leonard, Leonard went, went down. down. Yeah. Okay. And that same thing happened last year, but they were able to make it still to the AFC Championship game. But... Um, the defense kept getting three and outed back on the field by the offense, and they right. they just don't have a. I mean, you don't have a pass rush. But I guess they don't the, have somebody that can put their finger in the dirt. That's been a and go get somebody. Years, it has. It has. That's why they tried Golston. That's why they went and picked Iron up Maven. Aaron Maven, hoping right. against hope there. I mean, Iron Maven. Iron Maven. It's there funny to me how quickly it goes the other way in mm-hmm. the NFL mm-hmm. with teams. But they gave uh, Schottenheimer a contract extension. Which means he obviously <laughs> believes in Schottenheimer. So is the problem really then Sanchez? Who knows, man? If, it's if just like, but the question is if they bring back Schottenheimer, there will be um, a revolt of yeah. pitchforks and torches on MetLife Stadium by the gangrene faithful. And if Sanchez uh, doesn't improve next year, he will only have one year left on his contract after that. And if Sanchez does come back and improve, how can he do it with Holmes? How is it possible? But Holmes has a, a contract that makes it, trading him and releasing him quite prohibitive. Yeah, what would you make of the talk to to get rid of Sanchez altogether? Well, I mean, if Peyton Manning's available, I think the Jets are going to be totally interested in that. And that's something I want to talk about all with Lombardi. And then, um, uh, lastly, uh, Brockmar returns. Back. Jim Brockmar. I heard he's got a goatee. Is that a true story? Really? Is that, There's internet rumors seen him? Okay. of a goatee. Okay, but he's like, a, but like only a half, just like the, the peach fuzz There's or something like that. There's got to be a story behind that. So uh, the great Jim Brockmeyer, who came in and did the great uh, the uh, super rendition of Plays of the Month of September, October, and November, will do the Plays of the Month of December. And as always, we always get uh, complaints, right, from our listeners, uh, certainly overseas, who are like, how in the world, why, why am I listening why to something I, that's visual, visual right? Visual, yes. Okay. So once again, we are putting the entire... The top entire ten top plays. ten plays will be on NFL.com slash Rich Eisen okay. for your viewing pleasure. Very good. And do we have any more updates on, on downloading possibilities or anything like that? Or um, Well, we are probably going to keep uh, switch back to how we went before the eight games, go with two a week. Two Since a week. you're in the building a little more often, we okay. can get a little more newsy. So i got to work more? Since you got to work a little more right, and uh, oh, man. Yeah. break it up from okay. two hours down to about an hour. All right. But this one's probably close to two this hours, This one's right? going to be two hours. Yeah, somebody, somebody one-starred us on uh, on. Uh, on iTunes, too many megabytes. Too many. We need. To, I don't. Know, what What can we do? How can we break this thing up? Our, you, our sound man extraordinaire wouldn't like the audio quality dipping. So well, audio quality can't dip, can it? I mean, is it Del Tufo? Are you back? He's back. Thumbs up from Del Tufo. Thumbs up from him <laughs> behind the glass. Okay, so let's get right to it. We've got um, Brockmeyer, Lombardi, Brian Williams of NBC Nightly News. But first up, a goat from the tight end position. Pleased now to have on the Rich Eisen podcast presented by Bud Light, the most prolific tight end in the history of the National Football League, getting set to take on the New York Giants with his Atlanta Falcons on Wild Card Sunday this weekend. He's none other than Tony Gonzalez. How are you, Tony? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing fine. So how are uh, how are things in Atlanta and Falconland getting set for this big game Sunday? Well, I think we're, I'd like to say we're doing pretty well out here. Um, obviously, New season, playoff season, postseason, so uh, we're happy to be here and looking forward to getting it on this weekend. The New York Giants, how much of them have you seen outside of, I guess, just the film that you've watched this week? Um, that's it. <laughs> that is <laughs> it. I actually, you know, I, had a, I watched the highlights, I guess. Uh, yeah, I, I had a chance to watch a little bit of that Dallas game last week. Uh, so, yeah, uh, we're, we're familiar with them. 
Now, are you are you taking a look at things uh, when you see the Dallas game? I'm just wondering how you, as a, a a player and certainly somebody who who might be facing the Giants, would look at a game like that. Do you look at what Witten is doing uh, specifically, or are you looking at the as much of the eleven as you could see of that Giants defense on the screen? I'm just curious to know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I look uh, the film I've looked at so far was the Cowboy film and then the New England film. So I'm watching Gronkowski and Jason Witten. And uh, seeing how the, the opposing, watching, seeing how their defense defended those guys, seeing what those guys were able to do effectively in the running game, in the passing game. And those guys are, are great to watch, both those tight ends, because they, they do. They, you know, it's not just catching the ball for them. They also block as well. So I get a real understanding of what I'm going to be up against this weekend. And as you get set for, for the Giants, um, and you did say it's a new season, turn the page, what must the Falcons do this weekend that they have not been able to do over the first 17 weekends with consistency in order for you to think that you can move on in these playoffs? Well, I think you, you, hit, the, you hit it right there on the head right there is uh, consistency. That, that's what we have to do. We have to be more consistent. Uh, we've been kind of up and down as far as the offense goes. And, uh, you know, we got to make sure that we don't make the mistakes that we were making earlier in the season and, and I think it really showed up on that Monday night football game that we played against the Saints where they kind of blew us out. I don't know if they kind of – they blew us out. Uh, and a lot of the, the reason for that, I think, is we were making mistakes, kind of bonehead mistakes, myself included, stuff that we don't normally do. And you see what happens when you do that against a really good football team. So we make sure that we, you know, stay consistent. When it comes time to block your guy, you block your guy. When that ball's near, you make sure you catch it. And make it, you know, and, and Matt's putting the ball on the money. I think we have a good shot at winning. Is it as simple as you guys just playing differently on the road and at home? Is it just as simple as that? Because w- w- when you take a look at the stats, they are, uh, I wouldn't say radically different, but certainly at the quarterback position and the rest of the offense, you, you click much better in, in your own dome than you do on the road. Uh, maybe that's that's part of it too. Uh, if that is the case, I haven't really looked at it too much. But if that is the case, that's something that needs to be corrected and needs to be corrected this weekend. Uh, I think with the the leadership that we have on this on, on this on this team, with Coach Smitty, uh, you know the, the 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 veteran guys on the team, I, we're going to make sure that everybody's relaxed and knows that you know what. You can throw away all the regular season, like I said before. It's the start of a new season, the postseason, and. And we got to go out there, and we got as good a shot as anybody else uh, right now, as far and that we're that confident that we can go out there and and get the job done, and hopefully take this thing as far as we can, and that means the Super Bowl. Throughout the regular season, uh, a lot of us here at NFL Network and a lot of the national media looked at the Falcons and and thought that uh, your team struggled getting Julio Jones in the mix. That he mm-hmm. is such a dynamic piece to the puzzle that Matt Ryan tried to feed him. Uh, to the detriment of what you guys have habitually been able to do and do best, running the football, finding you, uh, keeping Roddy White in the mix. Is that a fair assessment? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't, it's so hard, Rich. I mean, it, I, I'm not, you know, the, the offensive coordinator, the quarterback. I mean, I'm glad I play tight end sometime because right. you, you get questions like that. And, 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 and I don't think that that was the case to a certain extent, I mean, obviously a guy like Hulu, why wouldn't you want to get him the ball? You know, right. and, and the guy's dynamic. When you put the ball in his hands, he can do some crazy things with it. And I really do think that maybe the offseason kind of hurt us a little bit, not getting that timing down with him. But at the same time, he's a rookie. And, you know, with, with being a rookie comes rookie mistakes. But I really do believe that right now he's really starting to understand it. And you've seen it over the last month. 
uh, our offense, when we get it going, we are clicking. Besides that Saints game, uh, I think we are clicking as an offense right now. We kind of turn that corner. People are talking about that identity. What do you want to do? What are you going to be? I think we're going to be whatever it takes. You know, if we go up to New York and we can't pass the ball, guess what? We're going to start pounding the ball with a guy like Michael Turner. And if we can, um, you know, run the ball, then we're going to, we can put it in the air with Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, myself, and Roddy, and Harry Douglas. So, uh, we we are we have turned that corner. I'm very confident, and Julio is a big part of that. And I, like I said, over the last couple of weeks, you've seen what he's been able to do, and it's only going to help us be that much more potent on offense. Yeah, I mean, he leaps off of the screen, uh, yeah. Tony. It, I mean, he, he he's really amazing. Leaps, he he leaps into your living room basically, <laughs> and and it's it's remarkable how how um, how talented he is, and and just uh, trying to wrap your arms or, or your head around what he can do, I'm sure, is a challenge. Well, I think you're just seeing you're just really seeing the beginnings of something really, really special around here uh, with him and Matt Ryan over the next you know five, six years. But I do believe he's starting to hit that stride. He's really starting to understand this game. Uh, and he's become more consistent, like we talked about. When the ball's in the air, he's making those plays now, stuff that maybe he would have dropped one earlier in, the, uh, earlier in the season. He's starting to catch that ball, and when he catches it, he is tough to bring down. And with that, with Roddy, myself, uh, like I said, in the offensive line is starting to be a little bit more consistent. So uh, if we can turn that corner as far as consistency goes, there's, there's no telling what we can do. Is that part of the reason why you signed up for more? Absolutely. Absolutely. I look at the future of this team, and it's bright uh, with – and, and I figured to myself, you know what, I, I feel pretty good, knock on wood. I've been healthy this whole season, and, and, and I, hopefully that continues. Uh, why wouldn't I want to come back? It's kind of the same scenario as I said last year. Even though it took a little bit more time for me to come to this decision, I did a lot more meeting time with my, with my family members. Uh, but it was a no-brainer. Uh, they, they, want, they want to pay me to come back and play football for another, well, the season's about six, seven months. Yeah. Why not? We, the sky's the limit on what this team can do. Uh, of all the stats that you've been able to accrue, I mean, uh, I, all all my analysts hate hate it when uh, when I mention just flat out that they're going to the Hall of Fame, and I know you you don't have to say it. Clearly, you are with all the stats that you have accrued. But the one stat that really um, is mind boggling, and we've we've talked about this many times before, is you've never won a playoff game. You are all for mm-hmm. four, and I'm wondering what your your thoughts are as you get one uh, one more chance at it this weekend. Well, uh, I, I got that question earlier today, and I, I trust me, it's, I'd be lying to you if I told you it wasn't on my mind. But at the same time, it, it's, it, this thing is bigger than me anyway. I'd like to go out there and get a, get a playoff victory for this, this, this organization. You know, uh, Since Smitty's been here, they haven't been able to win one yet, and uh, I'd love to be a part of that. But it's not just about winning a playoff sure. game. That isn't why I wanted to get on this team. You know, when they traded me, I was so optimistic because I was like, okay, we're going to go to the playoffs. That's a given around here. Uh, with the with the talent level on this team, it's about going to the playoffs and winning games, going to the Super Bowl. That is the goal of this team. But in terms of just yourself, uh, do you ever scratch your head, think about those other times, and say, you know what, I just want <laughs> I just want to go out and get this thing, uh, get get that donut out of the win column. Uh, I would love to. I would love to. Uh, I like I said, I'd be lying to you and told you if I didn't think right. that. But at the same time, I I do have bigger aspirations than just winning one playoff game. I, I, uh, I would love to uh, to get to that big – the ultimate game is where you want to go. In terms of uh, – and then this weekend with the Giants, uh, I, 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 have you heard Justin Tuck in his description yeah. of your offensive line mates? Did you hear what he had to say? Yeah, yeah uh, D for <laughs> dirtbag. Yes. So, What are your thoughts on that, Tony? <laughs> uh, well, I, I'm, I don't know if he – I don't think he was talking about me. He was talking about the offensive line. Uh, but <laughs> – yeah. but, uh, 
Well, here's the deal. The thing that, that, that frustrates Justin Tuck and most of the other guys that we play against uh, is our offensive line, they played through the whistle, okay? They're not going to stop until they hear that whistle blown no matter where the ball is at. The ball can be on the opposite side of the field, and really there's no reason for them to block you because you're not, you have no shot at making the play. But guess what? These guys are still going to block you all the way through the whistle. It's what they're coached to do. It's their mentality. Uh, it, it can be, I'm sure I can see where, why Justin Tuck and the rest of the, the NFL says that that's annoying, but that is what we're coached to do around here, and, and, and it gets into the minds of, of, of a guy like Justin, like Justin Tuck, who's a great football player. Uh, he's thinking about that, you know, then maybe he's not thinking about something else. So, and, and, and these guys aren't going to change. I mean, in fact, saying that about him is probably only going to motivate him a little yeah, bit more. Yeah, I was about to ask that. How, what, how, do, how, how have your teammates, the actual, uh, the, the dirtbags in question, the alleged dirtbags in question, how have they taken well, that? I, I haven't spoken to him directly about it, but I would like to think that, and I know that the mentality of an offensive lineman is, is that, you know, they're grunts. They, they love to do the grunt work and, and, and saying something like that about a, about a, uh, an offensive lineman, I think they take that as a compliment. Uh, you know, why, why shouldn't they? You know, they're used to not even being talked about, so I think this kind of gives them a little, bit of a little bit of something to smile about. A couple of more questions for you. Um, you uh, mentioned how you saw a tape of Gronkowski against the Giants. You've seen Jimmy Graham play twice this season. Mm-hmm. You may get a chance mm-hmm. to see him a third time. Who knows? Uh, they, they are just putting up astronomical numbers from the tight end position, which seems to be elevated to a whole new different ball of wax in National Football League offenses. And I'd love to get your thoughts on how these guys are playing and, and perhaps how more and more of these guys could be coming out of the collegiate ranks. Yeah, well, you, you've seen the evolution of it over the last, you know, probably 10 years now. Uh, you know, when I first came in, Shannon Sharp was pretty much the prolific pass-catching tight end in the NFL, and there really wasn't too much more. Maybe Ben Coates you could throw in there. Uh, but, I mean, like the guy that's really stretching the field, that was Shannon Sharp, and then obviously myself. But then you start seeing, like, Jeremy Shockey come into the league. You got Olsen. You got uh, Antonio Gates. And you're seeing this athletic hybrid where it's, it's, it's so much bigger than a, um, than a DB. You put a DB or a strong safety on him. You know, they we're going to just throw the ball up in the air. That's all they do, especially with Jimmy Graham and Gronkowski. I mean, and these great quarterbacks, too. You must add that to the mix. Both those guys are playing with some Hall of Fame quarterbacks, and they're not just killing it yeah. themselves. Those guys, every receiver on that side of the ball is having a great season, and these guys are throwing for 5,000 yards. I mean, they're breaking Marino's record. So you got to throw that into the mix as well. They're also playing with some Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Let's give some pop to some of your outside uh, works. you always got something going on. What, all pro science, you're still working with those guys? Yeah, still working with them. I'm doing uh, Shadow Buddies with my foundation. And a uh, new thing I'm doing is, is called Jolly Blast. So check out jollyblast.com. It's, um, it's for kids age 3 to 7. Teach them sports. Teach them reading, how to eat healthy. It's just a really cool thing to be a part of. And what's the name of you? How, how do people find out about your foundation? What's up? Uh, they can go to shadowbuddies.com. Okay. Very and, good. and it's also on the Jolly Blast website. Okay, cool. very good. And, and lastly, before right. I let you go, uh, Tony, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do my own job here. I'm trying to keep uh, a roof over my own head and make ends meet for myself. And mm-hmm. I turn on the competition one Sunday morning, and I see a new correspondent uh, named Nico, who is <laughs> going one-on-one with you. And I'm now seeing my rearview mirror filled up with your son. And I, I basically, what's up with that? 
I mean, you know. Nico, Nico Gonzalez, he's coming for you, Rich. Yeah, I clearly. Right. I mean, <laughs> what's up with that? <laughs> he is the man, my man. Well, he, he wants to play quarterback, so I think you're safe for a oh, okay. while. Because he wants to play in the NFL. Okay, so he'll do that, <laughs> and then and then I'll be totally done with my job by that point in time. Yeah, you'll be done. You'll be old and, and, and decrepit by then. So. <laughs> As opposed to young and decrepit right now. <laughs> hey, Tony, thanks so much. Good luck this weekend. All right, thanks, bud. Appreciate it. You bet. That is none other than Tony Gonzalez of the Atlanta Falcons joining me on the podcast. Pleased now to have on the Rich Eisen podcast the anchor of NBC Nightly News as well as Rock Center at 10 p.m. Eastern Time every Monday night, none other than Brian Williams. Good to have you on the show, Brian. Thanks for having me, Rich. It is my pleasure. So um, let's let's start with your love of the New York Giants. Is that a true story? You You have a love for the Big Blue? Yeah, grew up in Jersey, bleed giant blue, um, uh, going back to the old days. And I'll tell you what, we are coming off a, oh, that was a real nice game, um, a heart stopper for a while there because, you know, it's like it's it's partly being a Cubs fan, which I'm not, but it's the same ethos. It's uh, <laughs> Daniel Patrick Moynihan's quote about growing up Irish. When you're Irish, you know that sooner or later the world's going to break your heart. <laughs> Uh, well, if you're a Giants fan, you know that sooner or later the Giants are going to break your heart. And it got it got too close until uh, Eli and the gang put it away. But um, I watched with my son. Uh, it was uh, just fantastic. Felt great. I feel great for Coughlin and, and all of them. It was great to see Tuck back in the game in a meaningful way. And um, so, I mean, say nothing of Cruz. It's great to hear the Cruz cheer, which reminds me of Bruce giving a concert yes. at the new Meadowlands <laughs> Stadium. So it's the circle of life, really, is what I'm trying to say. Um, a tough schedule from here on out, however. A- Atlanta's a very, vo- a very good football team, and you know what lies after that. Um, and, and this coming, um, this next round, this next weekend is just going to be fascinating in so many ways. So why do you think the Giants have sort of a phobia of playing um, from ahead? It just seems that whenever they have an ability to take steps ahead and put opponents away, not just within a game, but within a division, within a season, they just can't. But when you expect nothing of them or from them, they go on and win games and maybe even Super Bowls. There seems to be some sort of psychological thing working here. I know. And when I watch with fellow Giants fans and it's it's third and four and they run up the middle off right guard and, you know, for a gain of two, you just kind of bury your heads in your hands. <laughs> the same running play they've been running all of my adult life. I don't know why that is. And yet you saw the stats on the screen um, during Sunday night football and uh, and uh, Eli's new place in the record book. And we all know now it's it's famous among fans how they turn on these spigots in the fourth quarter. It's incredible to watch. But why not do that from a position of strength? I don't know. We we've also all committed to memory that kind of Eli look where, you know, he's, he's just thrown a pick or they can't convert a third and he's just. He's got that kind of Eeyore face on, but then there's this this Bart Starr in him that fires up, and he finds it somehow. Yeah, he does have that sort of hangdog, maybe Phil Mickelson sort of gait, where it's just, <laughs> oh, gee whiz. And that doesn't usually yeah. fit the New York style of sports fans or the New York style of, of, of wanting somebody to wear it on their sleeve. But he is, if you think about it, 
with all due respect to Phil Simms, maybe the best quarterback in YA Tittle in giant history. It's just that he's always compared to his brother on the Mount Rushmore of football rather than the quarterbacks that have come before him in his own franchise. Yeah, and boy, I, I even said to my son, what must it be like for his, <coughs> excuse me, his big brother to be watching that game Sunday night? Um, and you mentioned Phil Sims. That was, you know, those were golden years. Uh, you, you think of Sims, you think of Bavaro, you think of LT uh, prior to his involvement in the criminal justice system. Yes. In the New York area, in addition to Bob Papa, we have um, Carl Banks on the broadcasting team. We have Howard Cross that we get to listen to on the radio coverage. All of these great names. You remember Pepper Johnson, uh, the other member of the linebacking corps. These great names. They also had a terrific Terrific player number 89, Brian Williams, who yes. a lot of, uh, yeah, no relation. Yeah, there's a safety as well uh, in the NFL right now that's also uh, named Brian Williams. And uh, But I don't think, uh, has anybody ever mistaken you for uh, a National Football League safety or maybe even tight end or wide receiver, Brian? You know what, Rich, when people see me in person and just see how cut I am uh, and how stacked, yeah. they often say, I'm the same way. which one are you, the mm-hmm. professional athlete or the broadcaster? And I know you get it mm. because of all the uh, corners and running backs named Eisen. Yeah. <laughs> and it's also my, my cat-like lateral movements that I have uh, that usually don't get to Or at to least your off. cat-like face. So, yes, sure. that's right. It's very angular. Uh, what, what, what was your high school football career like? I, I know you did play some back in the day. What was it like, Brian? Uh, it was, um, thank you for asking. Sure. Uh, I'm surprised you haven't read about it in New Jersey High School Sports <laughs> Monthly. It was brief and violent. Um, we, uh, you know, the, now it's, it's become vogue to know about Don Bosco uh, and their high school football program. That was the stuff of legend. Uh, when I was in high school on the Jersey Shore, we played schools in the Catholic School League with names like Our Lady Queen of Peace. Don't believe it, by the way. They came out of the tunnel about a thousand silver helmets. And uh, these are just killers, trained killers. They're not queens of peace at all. Uh, St. Peter's Jersey City, Christian Brothers Academy, nice names, really peaceful, chill, religious names. And it was just pugilism on the field. I played um, outside uh, linebacker for about 11 minutes, and I was an (laughs) offensive end, also number 89. Team picture's hysterical. My neck looks like a number two pencil with a helmet on the end of it. I took a helmet in my right knee in 1977. I walk with a pronounced limp to this day. I've had three operations. I get regular aspirations, injections. I'm, I'm in line to get a total knee replacement no as soon as I can identify three weeks off. No, it's, it is a chronic has-been since... 77, chronic problem, spent a lot of senior year on crutches, and uh, my uh, my right leg is like, uh, you just don't want to see it. Wow. I did not I, I did not know. That's why you're not really seen cutting a rug pretty much anywhere, is what you're saying. Yeah. I, I mean, there are days in this building in New York when I limp like a pirate, and most <laughs> of the summer interns just look at me like, where's the eye patch, dude? What's going on? <laughs> well, uh, again, you mentioned how it's difficult to find three weeks in your schedule uh, w- with our conversation. I, I, before I, I do send you back to the Iowa caucuses and the rest of the pre- 
presidential election and, and all the news going on in the world. I do want you to, uh, if you would indulge this podcast, um, going game by game in the playoffs and filling it out uh, like an NFL, like an NCAA bracket. And then we come up with a Super Bowl winner. Last year, Charles Barkley did this for the podcast. He didn't really, um, let's say, uh, uh, show off much of an acumen, although he did predict the very first Packers-Bears playoff matchup in the history of those two teams. But I- I'm wondering if you'd, you'd indulge me real quick and, and fill out this bracket so we can show off how much you really know. Um, well, here's the problem with the bracket. All of my brackets stop at one game that's a big problem for me, and yes. not to get schmaltzy. Sure. But I poll for two cities through their football teams, and that's Detroit, Michigan, and New Orleans, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. So uh, both cities have had their challenges, and both have become news stories for us, and I have a personal connection to both cities. Sure. So when those two teams play, when the Lions play the Saints, it's like I, I, I feel like uh, the, the Pope, the president, I have to be a, a total agnostic. I feel like when the president goes to the Army-Navy game and spends one half on the Army side and the second half on the Navy side, uh, and I'm not uh, wussing on you here, no, no. but I, I just can't, I can't get past that because to say that the Lions or the Saints are going to win that game... I have to go back to both cities. Yes, you do. I have to show the love to both cities. Both okay. cities deserve a win. They do. So, Eisen, um, you know, if I tell you that uh, that Green Bay uh, has more talent, uh, you know, in their in their shoulder pads than most teams have had all year, um, that would indicate something to okay. you. So that would be um, okay. That's that's one but, thing. And I try to be a realist about my own team, uh, the Gents. And uh, um, we didn't even get to the Jets, by the way. Well, I would and, go for it. No, please the, have have the floor. If if you know if you, I, I just, I just New York Times. I just don't know if you've got Santorum on the phone or anything like that. I, you know, I, I don't want to. I don't want to take Sanchez you actually. On the <laughs> you phone. do. That's even better. Um, That's even better. I'll tell you, we were on the plane um, coming back from L.A. to New York during the Jets game, and uh, I had the uh, the Wi-Fi going on the plane, and, mm-hmm. and the New York Times filed a piece after the Jets game that was so harsh about uh, the play of the Jets quarterback, Mr. Sanchez. Um, I, I think a lot of people have to do some, some soul-searching in the uh, offseason for the New York Jets. It's... When you live here in this market, I'm one of those Giants fans. I don't, I, I celebrate the Jets' success. I don't, uh, I'm, I'm a, and I'm a Yankee fan who thinks it's great when the Mets do well. So there's no um, schadenfreude. But, there's no sports uh, schadenfreude out of you, basically. No. Uh-uh. And uh, I just, I feel bad for Jets fans because I've watched their emotions this season, <laughs> and it's it's really tough. I. I take no pleasure in what's happened. To yeah, is, the, is there is there any uh, head of state or any anybody that you've come across in your end of the business that's a Rex Ryan type person that basically is uh, as boastful and as um, bravado filled that you've ever come across, and that you sit there and wonder if this person has the ability to back up what he's saying? I'm just wondering if there's any sort of cross pollination here, maybe. That's very that's very interesting. And the, the people I'm running through in my mind offline, you may recognize some of their names off pod, I should say. Yes. Um, 
they're mostly um, they're mostly producers and they are um, I, I tend to like people like that because mm-hmm. uh, leadership is really addictive and you know, leadership is what they teach at places like West Point. People are, civilians are under such a misconception that West Point's about learning how to fire a weapon. It is, but mostly it's a management school. It teaches you how to get other people to uh, obey your commands and follow along, how to lead. And so I've known some producers and some bosses in this business who have that (laughs) swagger and that bravado. What they all have in common, most of those that I'm thinking of right now, is that physical size to go along with it. There is something about that um, where if you look the part, uh, as, as Ronald Reagan did, Physically, right. you can stand up there, tell Americans, tell your team, tell the media, tell your fans where you intend to go. Trickier part is getting them there, as mm-hmm. Mr. Ryan found out this season. Um, and look, he's got to live in Jersey now for the entire <laughs> off season, and Mark Sanchez has to live a whole off season in the New York area. So this is going to be rough for them. I bet. I bet. So just to sum it up, you think the Green Bay Packers have uh, the right stuff, although you, you don't know what will happen should your Giants happen to visit there in Lambeau Field, and we all remember the last time that happened when Tom Coughlin looked as red as a tomato, and I was genuinely concerned for his face, let alone his team's ability. So you, you don't know what's going to happen there, if I can properly sum up and put the words in your mouth, correct? Yeah, the gents on the frozen tundra, that's... Um... Oh, boy. Uh, I haven't wrapped my head around that. I'm I'm all about Atlanta. Uh, But, uh, yeah, it's going to be, starting this weekend, it's going to be interesting. There are some games I'm just giving a mental buy to. I have zero (laughs) interest. We might as well flip a coin. Don't even bother playing them. Um, Let's save all the time, trouble, and travel. Um, But uh, I'm, I'm ready for this. I look forward to it, Brian. Thanks a lot for spending time here on the podcast, and uh, Happy New Year to you. Thanks, Rich. You too. You Thank bet. You That's for none other me. than Brian Williams taking some time out of his busy schedule to join me here on the podcast. Pleased to have back on the Rich Eisen podcast presented by Bud Light. None other than uh, one of our top information men, longtime general manager and inf- uh, front office man in this league, Michael Lombardi. Good to see you, Michael. Good to see you too, Rich. Where to start with you, man? I mean, there's there's so much going on to the point where our conversation could be dated by the time it ends, but uh, we'll just go for it right now as we talk on a, on a Tuesday, uh, the day after so much happened in the NFL. I do want to start with the Jets, though, first. Even though they didn't fire a general manager, didn't fire a head coach, they seem to have one of the more unstable situations going on in the National Football League. And uh, what do they do from here? Because they've got a quarterback who uh, regressed this year, no doubt about it. They have a $45 million wide receiver who reportedly blew off a meeting uh, and the quarterback who called it, right? Mm-hmm. And then had a mutinous moment in the huddle to the point where his own teammates had said basically go away. And he's coming back. And they all just had a press conference on Monday as if, yeah, and even the offensive coordinator who is completely under fire, if he's not hired by another team as a head coach, he's back too. Is that is that truly a possibility that the Jets just stay status quo over it, the next several months? You know, listening to everything, it was Raider-esque 
the Jets have become the Raiders of the East because there looks like a lot of dysfunction within the organization. Let's start with Santonio Holmes. I mean, really, a lot of people within the organization on the coaching staff feel like his presence and his demeanor most of the season was costly to their endeavor of winning. And they feel like he can't come back for them to win. Mm -hmm. The problem is, and why the general manager was probably at the press conference, is they have to pay him $7.5 million, whether he's there or not. They owe him $7.5 million. So they're trying to massage this into a situation where they can bring him back. And it's going to take all of Rex Ryan's skill to do that because he's got a separate locker room right now. He's got a lot of players that are looking to him to make the right decision on Santonio Holmes, whether to bring him back or not. And he's got a general manager who signed him and trade for him that is kind of locked into bringing him back. So it's a very, very tough locker room to handle. The Brian Schottenheimer uh, offensive coordinator one is surprising because most people in the league, including in the Jets organization, feel like Rex was going to make a change there. But all of a sudden, he's got two years left at almost $4 million. Maybe that's precipitated no change with the coordinator as well. That's That, that was just – it just strikes me as – it's not a nightmare scenario because nobody's injured catastrophically, uh, maybe career-wise. But that would be a nightmare scenario if you do have to start from scratch. But it's, it's close to – I mean, if you think about it, the Jets could have missed the playoffs on Sunday by winning, and then just things just didn't go their way. And at right. least they would have had that sort of momentum going into the offseason. Instead, they lose. They lose to one of their hated rivals, and they lose to one of their hated rivals with the quarterback who's been in, in such the hot seat because of his regression, throwing three more picks, two to the same defensive lineman. <laughs> And the $45 million wide receiver who was the must sign of last year's truncated offseason does what he did and doesn't get benched by the head coach Yeah, and is allowed to play. And then the head coach says after the game, I didn't know why he was benched, right? That's the first thing he says after the game. Hold on a minute. And I'm not done yet. And then the next day says essentially – the problem was is I named captains, period. That was the, pro- the problem. I just made a mistake. I lost the pulse. So now the question is, does he know his own team anymore? Do the Jets have the right guys at quarterback, the right guy quarterback, the right guys at, at offensive line? So everything from the general manager and coach and the way that this whole thing's been set up is now under question. That's a nightmare scenario for the Jets moving forward. Embarrassing to think that the head coach of the team didn't know when a player was getting benched. And then the next day defended the player, which basically alienated the other team. And and I think the other team, you mean the the, the, the rest of the team, the fashion of the team. And I think this is really the, the case of 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 leadership and, and how a team's become divided. And typically it's called the law of threes. There's three groups of people on a team. There's one group that'll do anything you want them to do. Then there's the middle group that is undecided on what to do. And then there's the third group that really causes a lot of problems and creates havoc within the organization. What Rex Ryan's doing, and that's where Santana Holmes is right now in group three. And what happens is Rex is now appealing to him to try to win him back. And all he's doing is alienating the people who want to win and the people who are undecided. So what he's doing is creating more of a mess than solving the problem. That press conference, to me, Darrell Revis and the players that want to win – are now angrier after that press conference than they were before the what press conference. Mess. And I think it's a huge mess, and I think it's it has to have some kind of cleansing that goes on. But Rex's inability to really say what he thinks or changes his mind all the time has created a problem. How in the world can they put 
Holmes back in the same huddle with Sanchez. How is that repairable? I don't think it's repairable. Put him in the same huddle with Nick Mangold or Berkashaw Ferguson or Matt Slauson. I think there has been a revolt within their locker room towards the player. And even though they came out and they said, we're going to take the C's off everybody's chest, that doesn't answer the problem. There's dysfunction. And here's the other issue. Bill Walsh always would say, the hardest war to fight is the Civil War. And we have to focus on <laughs> we have to focus on beating the opponent, not beating ourselves. And where the Jets are right now is in the middle of a civil war. So the Patriots are so far away from them to compete with. It's not, it's not even. It's, it's not even. It's not even worthy even mentioning them in the same sentence at this point. No time. question. And that, but that's who they have to beat, and that's their competitor. And and I think Woody Johnson, as the owner, is probably in the dark a little bit here because he's got faith and he's listening, but he's also got commitments financially that are tying some of these decisions together. Right. Uh, and, and in that respect, is it possible? That the reason why Ryan and Tannenbaum didn't put Holmes on full blast, thus risking what you said, the the group of threes, two thirds being alienated, is they're tr- they've got to rehabilitate him in terms of a marketplace. Is that possible? I know that his contract is very player friendly, and who in the world, you know, is is one thing to send a five to Pittsburgh and get him for what they got him for, but. Who's going to trade for a guy who clearly did something like that? Is it possible, though, that they're trying to game the marketplace by not putting Santonio Holmes on full blast and say, hey, we're we're thinking of keeping him? No, I, I think everybody knows. I think when they gave him the contract, there was a buyer beware because he was one step away from being suspended for the league year. We know that. He's had trouble with the commissioner. So when they did that contract, people were a little bit, are you really going to pay him? I think they had two receivers last year that most people in the league felt like, are they still going to be the same player once we pay them? Mm-hmm. Braylon Edwards and, and Santonio Holmes, and they chose to pay Holmes. Now I think it's their really problem, and they're not going to get away from the seven and a half. They're not going to get a team to come along and say, we'll take your problem, and oh, by the way, we'll pay your seven and a half million as we move along. I think that's a real hard sell. This is my last question. What about the concept that even though his methods are not uh, desirable, that Holmes is right, that the – coordinator doesn't know what he's doing with a quarterback that doesn't know what he's doing. And there's a head coach that won't go in and set it straight. And what, what if Holmes is right? Well, he Holmes is saying it in a different way than Jericho Cotri said it back in the beginning of the summer or Derek Mason said it before he was jettisoned this year. Mm-hmm. So we know there's problems within the structure of the jets. It's Rex's job to no longer be an assistant coach and step in to become a head coach and make some tough decisions. When you get the head coaching chair, you're presented with some problems that you have to make that are difficult that you can't really walk away from. You can't just take the C off of somebody's uniform and think we're a high school team. and It's all going to be better. And I think what Mason was saying, what Cotri was saying adds credence to what Holmes is saying, but Holmes is doing it in a much radical dysfunctional way. Let's move to the Colts. Were you surprised? Not really. No. I, I, I think when you listen to the press conference, I don't think Jim Mercy, the owner, liked the plan that Bill Polian put in place for the continuation of the Colts organization. I think he still liked Bill Polian. I don't think he was as fond as Chris Polian, and I don't think he liked the succession plan. And so in order to get a new succession plan, he needed a clean house. It did strike me that way, too. What, the, the one line that Ursay said was, I think Bill's closer to retirement, he said, or something of that. And when I heard that, I thought that uh, he maybe said, hey, Chris, you know, you're uh, I know you're, 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 you work hard and et cetera, et cetera. But Bill, you're the guy I want rebuilding this team. And I want you here for as long as the, if we, let's say we keep Peyton three, four more years and we get luck. And I want you a part of that transition. And Bill might've been able to say essentially that I can't guarantee that to you. 
you know, I'm thinking maybe one, two years, and then it's Chris. And that's when Ursay decided to blow it up. That's what it sounded like to me. And, and, there and was, I, it's interesting that, that, that it, there's reports out, whether they're tr- uh, true or not, but there are reports that Ursay would wanted Chris Pullian reassigned. And by that press conference, you could sense he did want him reassigned. And it was hard for him to, to get rid of Bill Polian and make this decision. But I think he felt like Chris Polian wasn't the right guy to lead his organization. It sounds like the Shanahan situation in, in Washington, D.C., in that respect. Am I off base by no, saying No, I think there's like similarities. And I think it's really, you know, as a father of two boys who love football, I think you put your son in a precarious position when you make this move. I think you're better off. Kyle Shanahan would probably be a head coaching candidate today had he stayed in Houston. I think he made a career mistake in going into this. And certainly you want to work with your father. And I think that's just really a wonderful thing for a father to work with his son. But in professional football, it becomes a little bit of a difficult situation to handle. Because if it doesn't work out, what do you do? And because the blame is going to kind of go around and it may be your son's fault. It may be your fault. But essentially it becomes a, a, a difficult operation. Were you surprised about what happened with Chicago? With uh, Jerry Angelo, you, you know, in a sense, I am. Yeah, because the 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 McCaskey family typically doesn't make decisions with years on a contract. They typically allow <laughs> things to kind of go. They don't like dead money in that. They don't anymore. like dead money, and there's really nothing wrong. But I think again, we've talked about this with the new CBA, with the new TV deals, and we know we have ten years of labor peace. Owners were going to be a little bit more willing to extend themselves out on contractual issues with with their organization to make sure they're fixed correctly. So in a sense, two years in a row not fixing the backup quarterback clearly was a problem and not willing to take on some of the issues that he needed to take on. I think that's why Jerry's no longer there. Yeah, but they said lovey Stan. Right. And and, and, and how, how can you go and find somebody outside your organization? Maybe they get somebody inside. But how can you go and get somebody outside and basically say, hey, I want you running this team, but I'll tell you what, this is your coach. I mean, how can you do something like that? Currently, that's what the Colts construct is going to look like, although uh, Jim Ursay did not go and do what the Bears did, which was put out a statement on Tuesday saying, love is staying. Right. He didn't say that about Jim Colway. He said, for the moment, this is what it looks like. Uh, how, how can you do something like that? And then uh, I, I'll, I'll get your answer, and then I'll move. I'll flip that to the general manager's situation because a couple of teams have fired their coaches but kept the general manager in place. Right. I, and this happened before. When before when Jerry Angelo became the head, the general manager of the Bears, he inherited Dick Duran. So the Bears have done this before, and it has worked. And I think the new general manager needs to come in and understand where he is as a team and observe the organization. Jerry Angelo fired his pro personnel director and his college scouting director two years ago. So he was trying to rebuild it. He hired Tim Rusko from Seattle. Obviously, that, that hasn't worked out for him. So I think the new guy will come in and observe the organization and let Lovey go through another year before he lays down the true foundation for where he wants to go in terms of the style of team he wants to have. So for sure, Lovey Smith is coaching for his job yeah, next year. Yes. no, no. Every, I mean, I know it happens every year. Technically, coaches do that every year. And certainly Lovey has been on the hot seat to the point where he needs to win. But this is for sure. Now right. I, I think so. And I, and, I, and I obviously believe that the new GM has to come in there and help Lovey fix this team as best he possibly can. Because the team has some holes that need to get corrected quickly. Because Jay Cutler is the centerpiece of the franchise right now. Mm-hmm. And the new GM has to really dedicate himself to making sure the team around him is for Cutler. Mike Martz resigned Tuesday. That, uh, that happened um, in the middle of our conversation, actually. 
Uh, what, what, what do we read into that? That was that was one of the worst kept secrets in the league. Mike did not want to go back. I think Mike felt it was, and I'm not speaking for Mike, but the word around the league was uh, Mike felt it was an uncomfortable situation in terms of the personnel, the way it was structured, and his inability to really run what he wanted to run in terms of offensively by the players. So mm-hmm. I think Mike was very disillusioned for the last year, and I think it really was why he didn't sign an extension. Oh, boy. Uh, and with with a situation like Tampa and Miami, where they keep the general manager and not the coach, how how, how do those things happen? Is it contractual, or or is it does the general manager just have the ear of the owner more than the coach? And and what's the politics behind this sort of Game of Thrones well, in the NFL? I believe this as a personnel guy. I think you come in with the coach, you should leave with the coach. I truly believe that. Uh, I think you're joined hand in hand at the hip. Every decision you make, and I think when you when there is yeah, a separate... didn't Ireland choose Sperano? Yes. And I know that it was Parcells who was in the it was in the flow chart when that happened. But I mean, if Sperano doesn't work out, I mean, you know, I'm sure Jeff Ireland's a good man, and same with Dominic in in Tampa. But it just it just strikes me as is interesting that they are spared the sword and the coach is not. It's been the way. Now I think just it's the way changed, it goes. It's been the way of the league, and I think obviously in Dominic's case, if I was the owner of the Bucks, I would probably ask Dominic, "Why didn't you realize this problem was here?" Because I wrote about it in the summer. I wrote about Raheem Morris's inability to really be demanding of a young team in the summer, and I think Dominic really should reflect upon his inability to recognize problem. Al Davis is one of the great things you learn from Al Davis is the greatness of an organization is your ability to, to make decisions before to, to find problems before they happen, really. And I think that's what the Bucks should have done. And to me, the Glazers are probably unaware that they could have seen this pattern of poor play going mm. back this summer. And those, but the Rams, uh, Stan Kroenke, uh, just cleaned complete house. Right. Out. Everybody out. Uh, Devaney out. Spagnolo out. Uh, is that the most plumb position? for coach and general manager because of the fact that they do have a young quarterback right there and that they do have a very high draft choice again and they do have an owner who clearly wants to win in that respect that he's blown people out i mean is that or that is that uh, too much of uh, a simple look at it, it? It, it from knowing from being inside the league uh, the rams have always been a team that you're not really sure who's in charge even though people have titles, you're not sure really what's going on. There's still an office out here in Los Angeles. Uh, there's still influences from consultants all over. And so I think there's a sense from the league that you're not really sure who's in charge. However, if Kroenke comes in and rebuilds the organization and clearly defines everyone's role, then I think it is a really good job. It's going to take some time. They need to repair a lot of elements of their team. Right. Where does Fisher wind up, you think? I think Fisher is number one on Stephen Ross's hit list. Well, he helicoptered him in on <laughs> yeah. Tuesday. Yeah, and I, I really think that, that Jeff, obviously, he's got a relationship with Kevin Demoff in uh, St. Louis. In St. Louis. His dad's his agent. His right? dad's his agent. They're not going to hold Josh McDaniels there, so it isn't like he's – so it's not, it's going to be clear for him to come in to start all over again. Uh, that could be a very good job, assuming the roles are defined and who the general manager is. But I think Stephen Ross is going to put all his chips. I think his disappointment in not making sure he got Jim Harbaugh is going to try to keep him from making the same mistake again. Hmm. What about the Raiders? How do they rebuild something from nothing? I mean, it truly is whole cloth, basically, well, what they're building there right now. And yeah, and, and I think what people don't understand is the cap's not going up next year. So every contract that you have under that you every player you have on a contract there's always an increase in that player's contract so if the cap doesn't go up and each player gets an increase there's going to be not a lot of room to work and manage your cap so right. when the raiders have no draft picks 
and they have a lot of players on a contract for next season, and they're going to eat up some of their caps. So whatever they decide in terms of GM. Now, interesting, Hugh, Hugh Jackson came out yesterday and wants to be part of the search. He feels like he needs to retain some of the authority within the organization. His contract states, as all Raider contracts stated before, is you report to the managing general partner. So no Raider employee as an executive have ever had a contract. Only the coaches did. So I think there's going to be some some real dynamics that have to be worked out before they can decide on what they want to be. Interesting. As- so if you go legalese here, that, that contract is is moot in terms of that clause because there is no... Well, Mark Davis Mark is now... Mark Davis the, is now... That is his title? That's his title. So his so, dad's title is now Mark's So now title. that's... So if you come in... Nobody else has ever had that title, ever, right? <laughs> right. In and, any sport, maybe any business, and think about pro- it. And if you come into the Raiders now, you have to get that defined. Yeah. Who, who really works for who and what are the roles? And Hugh's going to have to sign off on it. And I think Hugh yesterday or yesterday made a clear statement that he wants to be involved. Hmm. Interesting in that respect. Uh, I want to hit you up on the Peyton Manning situation. I spoke with you when I before I chatted with Jim Irsay on the air live on a mm-hmm. Thursday night. I called you if you're like my consigliere on that, <laughs> like because I just wanted to know where where all the lines of demarcation were in terms of the contract. And uh, I, I the just to get it out here on the podcast, March eighth is the deadline by which Peyton Manning must be paid twenty eight million dollars correct or if he's not they must release him and he becomes a free agent that is that is the the current construct of the deadline right Mm -hmm. now i have heard that there is because that you cannot renegotiate a contract between the last game of the season and the week after the league year is open that's the that's what i have heard about the new collective bargaining agreement Mm -hmm. and therefore his march 8th date is before the cba you're allowed to actually renegotiate. Is that is that a true story? Or? I, I was not aware. If that I, that would be really shocking that the league would pass a rule where you can't renegotiate contracts between the league between the dead period. That's what February is all about. Right. I have not been aware of that. I was not made aware that you can't okay. renegotiate those because that would then put the contract in jeopardy. But it, you know, I, I think before the league year starts, you got to get be compliant with your cap. So once that league year does start with yes. Peyton Manning you're going to have to exercise the option to be compliant or you're going to have to let them go because you're not going to have a $28 million option bonus sitting there. Once you exercise it, that lowers the cap number. So uh, I'll have to, I'm going to have to check on that. I have not heard that. I mean, this is, I I get, I'm getting tweets from, uh, from uh, Stieg, Jim Stieg, Andrew Brandt. Those guys are all telling me that, um, that this is, this is the way it is, you know, and I'm, that surprises me that the Colts would sign a contract, you know, uh, well, to look, that effect, where where they've got to make this decision. Well, but but you know, uh, and even okay, let's play by the rules. Sure. Peyton Manning's a, a vested veteran, so you could terminate his contract tomorrow, right? And then redo another contract. So he's one of your own players. So there's ways, there's ways around, of getting around. There's it. ways around it. Even though maybe we can't continue to renegotiate this existing contract, right. I could terminate that contract, basically terminate you and then 24 hours later re-sign you to a new contract. Yeah. And just talk about and and just basically say uh, Here's the deal. This is what this is the scoop. Let's do it this way. Yeah. I mean, so there's ways through There's yeah, I I don't think it's an ironclad you can't, and I'm gonna have to check on that. Obviously, do, but man, what are they gonna do? Why I mean, they can't make a decision until they have? Uh, but I think Jim Mercy has been very good. I, I saw the interview as well. He's been very clear. Peyton Manning is a family decision, and I think he really recognized as he sat in that stadium that that stadium wouldn't be there if it wasn't for Peyton Manning. And I think he has a sense of loyalty towards that. 
And I think he obviously wants it to be two separate issues. Peyton Manning's on one side, and then let's run our organization on the other side. And so let's go forward with whatever we want to do in the draft, whatever's mm-hmm. in the best interest of the Colts, and then we'll deal with Peyton Manning separately. And I think that's probably the right policy. Interesting. Let's move to the playoffs this weekend. Yeah. Let's get you, let's get you in the here and now as opposed to everything else. Unless uh, – have I asked you everything that needs to be asked? I mean, wh- where do you wh- – is there, is, there, is there a surprise – Obviously, if you no, knew I, it, it wouldn't what, be a surprise. I think but I people, mean, I think what people, uh, why coaches don't all get fired on on Monday after the season is there has to be some meetings, and there has to be some decisions that are made. Whether how do you want to proceed with the staff, and if you're not willing to change some of the staff, maybe that affects your job moving forward. Is that as what's well. going on in Philadelphia right now? I, I think there's probably some discussions, but I think Philadelphia is a different place. Thirteen years for, forms a bond between two people that that just one losing season doesn't affect, and, and they didn't even technically have a losing season. They so, finished eight and eight. If, if Andy wants to come back, but I do think Andy's going to have to make some concrete decisions. Obviously, Steve Spagnuolo is available as a defense coordinator. He's going to have to make some decisions in terms of what he wants to do with his defense. If coordinator. Spags wants to do that, how do you not go and call him immediately? Like uh, like now? Like, I would think they would just I, call Juan and say, "Hey Juan, listen, uh, great try, good job. I mean, um, he got better in the end. It was great. It wasn't a total disaster, but uh, I, I mean." Go back to the offensive line. Yeah. I mean, it, because I mean, you said and Howard Howard, Mud, Howard Mudd. You know, he wants to sign an extension as long as Andy's there. So, okay. and they've reshaped the offensive line to fit Howard Mudd. So they've got it going pretty well there. So, and I know Andy's very loyal to Juan. So he's going to have to make those tough decisions again. No. That's what the head coaches get paid for. That's what they get paid for. Uh, so let us move now to the playoffs moving forward. Um, Cincinnati and Houston. Let's go ahead and do this. I asked Brian Williams to fill out the bracket, and he he demur he demur he demurred, or de, he basically uh, uh, didn't want to decide between Detroit and New Orleans. He he passed, uh, and rightfully so. His news program has high ratings in those cities. Yes, I'm he, sure. Well, no, it's not just that. Too. He said, you know, he's he roots for those two cities, obviously being close to uh, what happened with Katrina, and then also the uh, the city of Detroit and. And what's happening there with the car industry? Um, but at any rate, Cincinnati, Houston, who wins that? I think Houston wins this, uh, and because I, I've not seen I've not seen Cincinnati win a close game. I've not seen Cincinnati beat a really good team yet. They've had an opportunity to be there, and I think when you get into the playoffs, you have to win close games. And Cincinnati, for whatever being so young, have has not been able to win a close game this mm-hmm. season against a good opponent. Okay, so I, I think Houston, much is being made about TJ Yates. I think Andre Johnson being back will certainly help. Mm-hmm. You can run the ball at times against the Bengals, and I think the score will be conducive enough where the Bengals aren't going to run away from the Texans offensively that they'll be able to find a way to win the game. And plus, I think the kicking game is much better for the Texans. Pittsburgh, Denver. You know, I, I don't. I think the only way Pittsburgh doesn't win the game is if they lose the game in terms of, <laughs> you know, if they give they the game themselves, up. They beat themselves, saying. yes. They're a much better team. Uh, the altitude will certainly help. They get tired, but I don't see enough passing game out of Denver to be able to beat the Steelers. And to beat the Steelers, you got to throw the football. And so the Steelers uh, move on, and that means the Denver Broncos win the AFC West, but also end the season on a four-game losing streak. Right. How many division winners do you hear that actually lose four straight games? And and that would mean um, more uh, eyes. Basically, basically would be a situation where everyone's on, all eyes are on Elway, right? Yeah. Uh, and and so I ask you this before we move on with the, with the rest of uh, what's going on here uh, in the playoffs. What what does this look like in the off season? Does he does do, do the last four losses give Elway 
the proper cover politically to do what he deep down everybody believes he wants to do or is what Tebow built before those four losses something that can convince John Elway to go ahead and stick with the all-in on Tebow scenario? I think Elway has a responsibility to the organization to continue to collect really good players. And I think if a quarterback happens to come to him and he feels like that is the best player on the board, he should pick the quarterback. And I think Tim Tebow, notwithstanding, should be allowed to compete for a job and continue going. I think there's too much being made of you're the man, you're not. Let competition answer most of the questions. And I think that's the best approach John Elway can take. He's got to get better on defense. He needs more secondary help. He needs bigger defensive line. He's a lot of issues he can solve. And obviously the backup quarterback with Brady Quinn is another issue. So he can go in a lot of different areas, and he doesn't have to declare Tebow's the guy, he's not the guy. There's too much being made of that because we know this in the NFL. Every year is a different year. Every year guys lose jobs. You just have to keep competing. So the offseason looks like uh, this for for Denver. Let's say if they lose this game at home to Pittsburgh. The offseason in your mind looks like any time this was brought up to Elway, he says, we love Tim, we want him to succeed. Right. He's the starting quarterback, and he will be the starting quarterback entering training camp next year. And then if something happens in the draft, he goes ahead and does something like that. That is the way the offseason looks. And then when training camp opens in Colorado in late July, whoever else they bring in will compete for the job. That's the way you look for it. Uh, that's how I would handle it. I mean, nobody is going to be given a job. Uh, no, Everybody has to compete for the job, and we'll know who the best quarterback is by the time we're ready to play the opening yeah, game. Yeah, but the problem is, is with a competition like that, the guy that he'll be competing against isn't going to be playing the same style of offense as Tebow, correct? I mean, unless you bring in somebody else who fit who fits that style of offense, which means you're going to go with Tebow anyway. That's that's the issue here, right? I mean, like, Well, but when you watch the Broncos in the last few games, they've gotten more away from the speed option and all those... Well, that's why they've lost four in a row. Though. You know, well, they haven't been able to or run three it. in a row. They haven't been able to be effective doing it. They had no longer have caught... So they know they have to throw the football more. So there is an offense within there that, that is adaptable to both quarterbacks. There right? is? I think you can find one. Yeah, I really do. I, I think you, you, would, you would feature more of another area of the offense than you would if Tebow was in there. Every offense becomes more conducive. To, remember, quarterbacks, it's about what they can't do and modify your offense around that than what they can do. Mm-hmm. So I think you can do it. Atlanta and the Giants, who wins that game? I, I like the Giants here. I'm always worried about the Giants because of the Redskin game. But I, I think Atlanta is a good team. They're capable of upsetting them, but they have to play their style. Atlanta cannot get in a drop-back pass game against this giant defensive front, which has always benefited by OCU Menorah being back, which allows Jason Pierre-Paul to have a little bit more help uh, and Justin Tuck being healthy. So I like the t- I'm, I like the Giants, but I'm always worried about that Redskin game. To me, they always have a stub in their toe. Uh, they they shouldn't have lost to the Redskins. They're a better team, but but they did that. Whether they've cured those ales, I don't know. But I know Amad Bradshaw makes them a better team. I like I like the Giants. I'll here. tell you what. Who is the? I'll tell you who the MVP of that. Obviously, the MVP is always the quarterback. But if you remove him. It's a toss-up between Cruz and Pierre Paul. I mean, those two kids have taken this Giants team to a t- totally different level. I know Eli's abilities are, are, are to me, top six yep. elite. No yep. question in the no league. Question, There's yeah. no doubt. I mean, it's it's time to stop even wondering yeah. if he... Well, I think he's top six. Mm-hmm. I think he's definitely top six. I wouldn't put him... Top five because it's uh, to me it's either him or Rivers. You know, right, you got Breeze, right. Brady, and and Aaron Rodgers, and um, I'm obviously forgetting one no, too here, the, but uh, the, Peyton if the, he's healthy. Right. But at any rate, Pierre Paul and Cruz. Without them, the Giants are sunk, sunk. 
Yeah. How special is Pierre Paul? I mean, how special he's, is he's he? He's a freak. He's a unique player because he can move anywhere along the defensive front and have an impact. He's long. He's Quick. athletic. Man. And the thing that separates him is he never most, gives up. That's it, Rich. He never gives up. He plays hard all the time. It's like Justin Smith for the, for the 49ers. They, uh, they play hard all the time. And they're very effective. When you play hard all the time and you're that big, you wear your opponent down. And Cruz's ability to shake and move and be the Wes Welker type receiver for that offense, yeah. but be more explosive than even Wes, I think separates him. I, I, again, not to just keep harping on the point here, but I mean, if I'm Woody Johnson, I'm, I'm saying, okay, we we took uh, Golston, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I know we didn't draft as high as the Giants did to get Pierre Paul, but I'm still waiting on uh, this kid from Temple. That they just drafted last year. I know he had a he had a solid rookie season, yeah. um, and and I'm seeing I'm I've got forty five million dollars tied up in a, in a guy that blew off a meeting but didn't get benched for it. And I look down across the way at the team that just beat me, and I see Pierre Paul, and I see Cruz, and I say, why not me? I mean, is that uh, is it's that a fair? It's uh, to is me that, is that fair? Or I mean, if I was the GM, I, I, he wouldn't have to ask me that. I would research why we weren't there on that. I think that's part of the business you're in is you have to find out the mistakes you made. Look, the Philadelphia Eagles took Brandon Graham over Jason Pierre-Paul, so they feel sicker than anyone because right. they picked the defensive lineman and it just wasn't him. Well, I took the, the Michigan guys, so I mean, you know, and the Jacksonville Jaguars took a defensive lineman and it wasn't Jason Pierre-Paul. Right. So they and Gene Smith got a contract extension, so you, <laughs> you, you have to find that. So Detroit, New Orleans, who wins that one? I think it'll be a closer game. Uh, Detroit has to slow the pace down. They can't get into a track meet. Do they have the ability to do that? I think it's difficult. They don't have a running game that really can slow the game down. They're going to have to play much better defense than they did last week in Green Bay against Matt Flynn. Uh, I like New Orleans here. You like New Orleans here. Okay. I'm going to just keep going on then. Let's Let's just have fun here. So you got Houston at Baltimore, Pittsburgh at New England, New Orleans at San Francisco, and then the Giants at Green Bay. That is a mother of a divisional playoff weekend. A lot of people think that's the the best playoff weekend, the right. best weekend of football all year long. We got four games. It means so much. Houston at Baltimore, you give that to the Ravens? Yeah, I think now this the TJ Yates era comes to an end here because at, at some point there you have to be more diversified to beat the Baltimore Ravens in your offensive passing. You're not going to live with the running game to beat them. And I think that's where, although the Ravens must improve offensively, their offense is sluggish. And they have a tough time really making the team change their pace, which you have to do against Houston. But I, I think they'll win that. Yeah, I, it's tough to, that, to not think of T.J. Yates or even DeLome if it happens to be good eats for the Ravens defense. It's hard to put three, th- and, it would be hard for them to put three really good games. Pittsburgh at New England. This that is, is – I, I know CBS has a late game. They've got a late window game for that one too. They are fired up if that is what happens. The Tiffany Network would – I think that game, knees. I'm told that game's going to be on Saturday night. Saturday night, yeah. They got a late window. Yeah. They got a late window for that. So, what do you think? Well, um, I think this game is reminiscent of when the Titans went there on a Saturday night and played the Patriots, and Drew Bennett dropped a pass from Steve McNair, and they lost the game, a close game. I think the winner of this game goes to the Super Bowl. These are the two best teams in the Who AFC. Who wins this one, though? I Give think it, Pittsburgh will you win. Think it. Pittsburgh will I think win Pittsburgh, it. New England has struggled at home this year. They've given up some, they've had to play from behind. <sighs> New England won and done again. Well, I mean, I mean you know, possible? they have to, they are going to have to find a way to cure their defensive problems in the secondary. And whether it's weather that helps them or whether it's 
Uh-huh. When that helps them, I don't know. But right now, Pittsburgh, to me, is the best team in the AFC because they're the most complete team. Even with Richard Mendenhall? Done. Well, that that they have to find a way to kind of get a running game a little bit. I mean, but Isaac I, they, Redman is serviceable or is right. shown to be. I mean, you never know. That's what the playoffs are all about, right? Sean Green had a great playoff two years ago. James Starks. You never know. Right. Could be maybe Isaac Redman is that guy this year. It's going to be Big Ben has to carry the team and right. his arm and his ability to move around the pocket and make loose plays. And these receivers, to me, are very tough to defend. Boy, so Patriot fans are rooting hard for the Bengals. Yes. Because then they, that then they get the Bengals in their house as opposed to Big Ben right. and I, the I Steelers. Think, wow. Yeah, what yeah. A, oh, that's, that's, a, to talk, that's a major difference. That's yeah. a major difference. Right. I and mean, that, that's why finishing maybe in the second seed was the, be, was the better seed. You know, but, it, you know, we, you know, that's why you play the game. Of course you do. Uh, so you've got New Orleans and San Francisco. Yeah, I think this is a really close game. Um, San Francisco can play the pace to slow the game down. They're good enough up front to create some problems. Remember, mm-hmm. when New Orleans went into St. Louis, St. Louis's defensive front gave them some trouble. I, I would go upset here. I think San Francisco can beat New Orleans in a game because of the wind, get them on grass with a week off and, and really kind of push them around a little bit. New Orleans defense, Green Bay's defense, New England's defense are suspect. And if they go against a team that can, that, that the offense can't run away from them, I think they can be beaten. What a major win that would be yeah, it'd for be great. San Francisco. A playoff win for the first time in forever and taking down New Orleans, which has been playing lights out. Yeah. Lights out. And then you've got a rematch of the uh, NFC Championship game from 2007, the Giants at Green Bay. If this happens, I would just beg Tom Coughlin to wear something on his face. I can't look at it turning that red anymore. Uh, Giants at Green Bay, which was a great game and right. uh, in early December that the Giants lost just by three points. What do you think about this one? Well, I think it's reminiscent, too, of another of another uh, regular season game when the Patriots went into the Meadowlands and, and lost and beat them. Right. And then in the Super Bowl. Same came score, back. by the way. You're 35. Right. That's the, the Packers beat the Giants by the same score that the Patriots beat the Giants in that week 17 of 2000. So the Giants will know how to play them. I think, I, I think they'll have a better handle. The Packers, to me, is you have to really you have to take Jordy Nelson out of the game and you have to do it with your best corner and you have to double uh, Greg Jennings and then you have to take your chances with everybody else and I think if this, you can do that effectively and they have a defensive line to put pressure on them like the Tennessee Chiefs did they have a team that can beat them and they can keep up with them they can they can throw the ball against them so there's a chance the Giants can win that game of course but you're going to go with Green, Bay, go Green Bay for the purposes of this endeavor so your championship games are the third <laughs> the third game between the Ravens and the Steelers uh, where have we heard that one before? Just uh, in, in 2008 is right. when we heard that. Um, and San Francisco and Green Bay. So you got one and two in the NFC, and you've got two versus five in the AFC. Who wins the Ravens? Do the Ravens go 3-0 and against no, the No, I think Pittsburgh, San, I think Pittsburgh Green Bay is going to be the Super Bowl once again. I, I, I like those two teams. I think Pittsburgh is the best team in the AFC right now. They're better on defense. Remember, when Pittsburgh played New England, uh, James Harrison didn't play. Uh, uh, they they were and then Lamar Woodley gets hurt Correct. in the game. So and Lawrence Timmons played outside linebacker. So they'll be more complete to play. They're a better defense. Their offense is still effective without Mendenhall. It'll be a little bit of an adjustment. So I like Pittsburgh as the most complete team. They're good on offense. They're good on defense. And I think Baltimore's offense really has trouble at times moving the football effectively. I I, I think they if you can protect against Baltimore, which Cincinnati did in both games, mm-hmm. you can throw the ball. And then Green Bay. You know, Green Bay, San Francisco, I don't think San Francisco can do it two times in a row against a fast-break team. I think that will be the problem. Huh. And then have to go away and handle it. I think Green Bay can take away your running game. 
I'm not sure they can take away a great passing game. Right. So you got Green Bay Pittsburgh rematch is the same result? Mm, you know, I I would suspect it would be. Yeah, I think so. I think I think, you know, There you go. It's tough to it's tough to argue with you on that front. Although all of what you've said as um sound and reasoning and obviously uh, all the f- film and tape that you you view uh all of that said if Big Ben's ankle doesn't hold up, right. this all goes out the window, it, right? It, yeah, it all goes out the window. Isn't and that amazing when we were there on Thursday night? Cleveland, Pittsburgh. Yeah, you know, it's a Thursday game. night game. It's nondescript. Steelers are going to, you know, do this one hand time behind their back. Second quarter, what happened in the second quarter of that game could resonate all the way through this playoff bracket that you just filled out right now. It's it, unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And we saw last year New Orleans lose in Seattle in, in a shocker. You know, and and so the the playoffs, anything can happen. But you know, just taking a step back and reflecting, I think that will Pittsburgh. Obviously, if Ben's not healthy, that's a problem. You know, obviously, he carries them by what he does. Yes, and 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 true to form, as I said at the beginning of this long conversation, uh, that it would become dated by the time that we <laughs> we we were finished. Um, while we were going through the brackets, uh, Dean Spano said that both AJ Smith and North Turner are coming back. Good. I, that they're would, not going anywhere. Right. And your first blush thoughts on I th- that. I thought that Norv, you know, I, I wasn't sure where he was with AJ. I, I, I said on, on uh, Sunday that AJ was, AJ Dean and Ed McGuire were all hanging out on New Year's Eve together. So that obviously sent a message that they were repaired their relationship or they weren't concerned about that. And then Norv, I think, really has done a good job. Look, the Chargers are in the playoffs if they could handle the snap on Monday Night Football against the Kansas City Chiefs. Right. You know, and there's so many plays that you could point to during the season that the Chargers could have been there. And I think the mistake to make now would be to start over for Dean Spanos. I think one more year. I, I Yesterday I talked about it being like what Robert, what Bob McNair did with Gary Kubiak. Let's go one more year, see where we are. Let's repair the team. And if this team doesn't make a run, then it's over. So that's – so Lovey and Norv Turner, for sure – Right. Coaching for their gigs next For year. sure today, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, thanks so thanks, much. Thanks, Rich. That's Michael Lombardi here on the Rich Eisen Podcast. I couldn't be more thrilled again to welcome back to the podcast the legend of the booth himself, none other than Jim Brockmeyer, here to uh, deliver the plays of the month of December now that the regular season is over. And, Jim, good to see you. Happy New Year to you. Thank you. You too, Rich Eisen. Always a pleasure to be seen, especially in this odd little closet of a show you <laughs> yes. got going on. And, and, and it's, uh, you brighten it up. You brighten the room. But I do Quite have to literally, say, don't I? Well, I do have to say, you, you, look, you look younger. You look young. I don't know what it is. Uh, is it... Um, Why, just, really? I, I don't know. You just... You, you got something... Uh, is that... Oh, you're poking... I thought you... I, you know, I thought yeah. you are being sincere there for a moment, but you're, you're poking <laughs> some fun at my, my facial No, hair, I just... Right? I, I couldn't help but notice that you, you've got a goatee. I do. Time. I uh, tell you... It, it's um it's 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 against my grain to do something like this. Mm-hmm. I like to be clean shaven for the yeah. fans, but uh, you know, there's I have an opportunity. There's a, a lumberjack show. I'm auditioning <laughs> to be the announcer to do the calls for the lumberjack show. It's a regional mm-hmm. cable show. There's nothing mm-hmm. to get too excited about. But right. you know, I have the audition coming up. I wanted to butch up my look a little bit uh, for it. But unfortunately, due to a cocoa, uh, hot cocoa mishap in my youth, I, I cannot grow hair. Uh, I can't grow a mustache. So instead, I ended up like this. Like That's a, it? Like a beatnik from the 50s. A guy who says, hepcat, and, uh, and uh, kind of snaps instead of applauds, you know, and, uh, and smokes those funny jazz cigarettes. But actually, seeing it now on camera, I, I, it looks weird. I'm, I'm going to shave this thing off. Well, I mean, it, it, it is you. 
um, in a very Underneath certain this. way. Yeah, yeah. Under, yeah, you were still the same person. Yeah, you're the still the same legend of the booth, and I. I, I I did not know about the hot cocoa mishap as, as, oh, yeah. as a child. Yeah, very painful. It, it's clearly left a, a mark, and um, but you still look great, and you, you're as, you're as great as ever uh, in terms of your game that you bring to here. Hope so. We'll see. Let's well, no, hope no, no, so. And, and I, 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 but before we get to the plays of the month of December, yes. uh, as always, I need to ask you about your thoughts on some. Uh, pressing topics in the National Football League. And right. as you know, there's uh, the type of, um, this is the, the moment of the year where coaches get fired, front offices oh, let yeah. go. The one thing that's most surprising is what happened in Indianapolis, that despite their horrible season, uh, Jim Irsay let go of Bill and Chris Polian, the father and son team there. Did that surprise you that they were let go? Well, uh, you can't be that surprised, I guess, given their recent draft record. But uh, it, it does serve as a reminder. It's kind of a cautionary tale, if you will, that uh, you know, NFL front offices, these are not dictatorships. You, know? you don't get the job for life and then get to figure out some weird succession plan where your firstborn son gets a job. I mean, forget it. You know, that's right. I just I just call the Colts the uh, the North Korea of the NFL. <laughs> I stand by that because that I tell you that Chris Polian, he is definitely he is definitely that pudgy faced little Kim Jong Un. Kim Jong Un. That's a good name to say in the booth. Number 49, yeah. Kim Jong-un steps in. And that's 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 the Chris Polian in this? Yeah, scenario? and I would say that uh, I would say that Peyton's uh, neck situation, Manning's neck situation, is probably the nationwide family. <laughs> sort of that's the parallel. So it didn't it, it it did not surprise you in that respect. Let's talk Tim Tebow. Okay. Which I know one of your favorite subjects. I love uh, the subject of Tim Tebow. I love uh, everything about it. Talking about him, looking at him, watching him from behind, <laughs> from the side. I love everything about Tebow. Every so every angle. Every team. angle of the But Tebow one thing play. that we didn't see coming was three losses to back into the playoffs. What are your thoughts on Tim Tebow now? Well, I think it proves that, uh, you know, if you're if you're winning ugly, you, you cannot stop winning, Rich Eisen, because then you're just ugly. That's all that's left. It's just the ugly part. Right. You know, it's like that actor uh, Steve uh, Buscemi. Steve Buscemi? How do you pronounce it? No, it's Buscemi. Buscemi? Bruschetto? Steve Bruschetto. No, no, Steve Buscemi. Buscemi. Yeah. You know, he's a wonderful actor, a, a big star, got his own lovely uh TV series on HBO, but if he did not have success as an actor, he just he would just be weird, snaggletooth Steve, the the really too intense guy at the that you see at the office. You know what I mean? So, yeah. uh, my advice to, to Tim Tebow at this point is to um, you know to maybe shorten up that weird Dutch windmill of a throwing motion you got there. <laughs> Remember to scramble forwards and not backwards. That's very important. Mm-hmm. And and a win, most of all, win because uh, I don't care. Which God you pray to? Six for twenty-two and a losing effort in the NFL. Not not going to cut it. So not going to keep your job. So you think it's going to be a tough one against the Pittsburgh Steelers for for Tebow this weekend? I think it's going to be uh, very very difficult uh, for Tim. Have you noticed about Tim that uh, when he gives interviews, he sounds like a six-year-old who's dying to tell you a story? Have you noticed that no, about I'm him? Not heard. Check it out next time. He sounds like he kind of repeats, you know, like and then and then and then the man, the man, the man, and then and then and then it's kind of like that. It's really just like very, that. Very excited. Mm. Yeah, a lot of. A lot of extra detail you don't need, and a great deal of enthusiasm. Now I know you're you're a man who's all about humility. Oh yeah, uh, the fact I, that... I've been forced into it didn't used to be, but not now I am. <laughs> yes, yeah. uh, and in that respect, uh, what happened with Rex Ryan and the Jets? A lot of people think it's a comeuppance for a, a braggart uh, to yeah. to go out and the, the method in which the Jets went out this yes. weekend. What, what are your thoughts on on the Jets and, and Rex Ryan and and what happened there, Jim? Well, I, you know, I think it's sad. I think that, uh, you know, 
uh, when you talk that big, mm-hmm. you're gonna get uh, you're gonna get you better you better back it up, mm. or else uh, you know you're gonna get your your own team rebelling against you. That that I did not see coming was was him completely losing grip on the team. You know, uh, and you wonder what else is going wrong in Rex's life. You know, uh, I think so, huh? Well, the you know obviously the diet he doesn't have under control. Um, sometimes I I wonder if he's going to eat any of his players. I, I thought that was a possibility a mm. few times this year that he just might forget what he's doing and and uh, and take a bite out of a, a coach or a player standing next to him, right? Um, and just take him out. That would be yeah. Just uh, you know, I mean, play eleven on ten. Well, at would some it point surprise or? you? I mean, at this point, I mean, the, is that's not any weirder than the foot thing? You know, if he just <laughs> kind of bit into his play, <laughs> if he acts, if he mistook one of his players for some M and M's and just went at him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, I don't know. There's got to be some middle ground also between Rex Ryan's hair and Rob Ryan's hair. Is there not some kind of middle ground there? I know you you go with the Rex Ryan hair. Well, for sure. I, I can only do what I can can do. You know, well, you sort could of, grow it long. You could do I it. I could do that. I could go the Chris Christopherson thing. That, yeah, you that, could that do that like Rob's the weird, uh, you know, not so much here, a heck of a lot going on back there. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. I, I'd, I'd uh, it's the Sanchez, the Sanchez thing is just, it, that's got to end. You know, I, I don't, I, so? I know Santonio rebelled and you shouldn't do that, but can you really blame Santonio? I mean, I don't know what, I'd be whining all kinds of crazy things in that huddle. <laughs> If I had to deal with my, I mean, which, which Mark Sanchez is it? That's probably the, well, I'm sorry, I got the, I got the play. I understand what play we're running. I want to know, am I running it for which Mark Sanchez? <laughs> the one who's unbelievably clutch or the one who can't play a game of toss across? Okay. Would lose to his own niece in the game of toss across. So that's. Good game, by the way. So it's connect cross. four. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think the bad Sanchez can't even play connect four. He can't connect anything. Let alone four. Yeah, that would drive me crazy, four. too. And I also would, uh, the fact that Rex didn't know what was going on, though, uh, when I asked afterwards, that mm-hmm. that is, you wonder what else he doesn't know about. You know what I mean? <laughs> you really got to wonder, you know, <laughs> are there certain personal hygiene things he's unaware of? Like, Rex, Rex, when did you last shower? I don't, I really don't know. I was unaware that I that I hadn't showered in two weeks. These are all larger issues that I think yes. need to be addressed yeah. moving on. I think Either way, the, the Jets head. are in for a long offseason. Well, once again, Jim, you're current. You nailed it right on the head. And, um... You're kind of to say. No, and I, and I, I, I truly mean it. Uh, let's let's get to the the I guess main course here. That was just the main, the appetizer for us. Yes. That was nice. just sort of the, the pig in a blanket of this segment. Right, if you're at a wedding, exactly, <laughs> or a bar mitzvah, right? Which I'm sure you you've you've been to many. I've been to my share. I have many many lovely Jewish friends. <laughs> I'm sure you do. Yeah. Uh, let's get to it. Let's get to the the big moment, please. Let's do it. Top ten play. You're talking about the top ten plays for the month of December, right? Yes, I am. All right, I just want to be clear. Top ten plays for the month of December. Here we go. All right, at number 10, the Giants are backed up at the one-yard line, but is Eli Manning worried? No, hoo, hoo. like Mo Green, he was making his bones while you were back. Rich Eisen. He passes to Victor Cruz, who then splits two Jets defenders, leaps past Eric Smith, and runs 99 yards for the score. 99 yards. Rex Ryan is going to have to lead. Rex Ryan is going to have to eat a lot of crow this offseason, and I hope crow is low-calorie, because Brandon Jacobs is right. He is starting to look disability check fat, isn't he? <laughs> I kind of want to help him out when I see him now. Coming at you with number nine. Now, I am truly excited about this one. This month, my I Hate Kickers Club got an honorary member, folks. 
Cowboy coach Jason Garrett, who called a timeout just before his own kicker, Dan Bailey, attempted a game-winning field goal. And after the timeout, Bailey, of course, comes up short. Sure, Garrett iced his own kicker and cost his team the game, but that is a small price to pay for humiliating a kicker, isn't it? So I salute you, Jason Garrett. And if you should happen to happen to get fired this offseason, come by Castle Day Brackmire. We'll watch Garrow Yepremi and try to throw a pass, and we will laugh to keep the tears at bay. You come on by, Jason. We're waiting for you with up in arms. And here we go with number eight. Here comes another Eli Manning highlight as he tosses it deep to Travis Beckham, who then weaves slowly back and forth through the Packers secondary like a drunk old man in a Cadillac. Touchdown, Giants! I'll tell you what, it's a good thing the Packers have Aaron Rodgers because their defense is softer than Cheryl Ladd's skin. Or at least, know what I imagine her skin is like in my dreams. Uh, no, nothing weird, nothing weird, folks. Just uh, most of the time in my dream, we just hold hands and go to the farmer's market. Kind of sweet. Kind of a waste of a nice Cheryl Ladd dream, really. Any hoodles is the word I'm looking for. Number seven. All right, let's take a look at the best of Tim Tebow, Rich Eisen. He takes a snap and then runs around stiff-arming defenders like a hulked-out Fran Tarkington or something until he finds a wide-open Demarius Thomas who bowls his way into the end zone for the 41-yard score. Timbo's got the puppy dog energy of Favre combined with the out-of-pocket creativity of Roethlisberger, doesn't he? That was fantastic. Okay, the number sixth best play. Right, but now, uh, conversely, let's take a look at the worst of Tim Tebow as he takes the snap and proceeds to run backwards for 30 yards and then gets sacked. Yow, that uh, looks like something your grandpa would do while playing Madden, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, that was not good. That was not good. With his erratic play, I would say Tebow had an angel and devil on his shoulder, but I think we know that is not true, which means that one of his two angels is giving him absolutely terrible football advice. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because there's got to be two angels there, so one is just dumb about football. One doesn't know what he's talking about. And at number five. All right, let's watch the Rookie of the Year. Yes, Brockmire is calling it Cam Newton Rookie of the Year as he lines up in a strange formation, one that baffles the Houston Texans defense. The ball is snapped, and it is a fumble rooski. Ho-ho, Panthers tight end Richie Brockle races in untouched for the score. You know, the fumble rooski is a really stupid name for such a great play, I think. I mean, the ball isn't even fumbled. So, Rich Eisen, I say that we rename it right here now on the show. What do you say? Uh, the play's a shocker. When a large man unexpectedly runs fast, let's call it the George Went. All right, because he was in the no, he was in the Battle of the Network Stars that I called, and the man runs a sub five forty. I kid you not, couldn't believe my eyes. Okay, number four. Let's take a look at a good clean hit by Reggie Nelson of the Bengals. Charlie Batch throws it down the sideline, and here comes Nelson to break it up and Yahweh. Folks, Antonio Brown can now never be buried in a Jewish cemetery because he just got tattooed. <laughs> You notice how I said Yahweh to tie in the whole uh, Jewish thing? <laughs> yeah, I said Yahweh. Yahweh! That has got to sting. Any kind of Antonio Brown thing. Yahweh is, uh, for you folks who don't know, <laughs> Yahweh is the Hebrew word for the Lord. That's what our, our good Jewish friends call the great good Lord. Well, it's not funny, Rich Eisen. That's that's a faith. That people have faith. It's not funny. To, it's not nice to laugh at people's faith. Faith-based highlights. You don't laugh. You don't laugh at Tim Tebow doing his things. And don't laugh at Yahweh. It's got to be equal opportunity here. Number three. 
Everybody was excited to watch two 10-win teams go head-to-head, but look out, not one but two separate blackouts delay the Niners-Steeler game. Wow. Experts blame the ancient facilities of Candlestick, but I blame the city of San Francisco itself. Some say it is the most beautiful city in the world, but in my experience, you end up walking a mile uphill to see some homeless man poop in a bag. So, uh... It is no surprise to me that they have a third-world power grid working there. Hey, but uh, Frank Gore's a gem, isn't he? And he scores from five yards out. All right. All right, the second best play. Now, Rich Eisen, as many of you know, I hate animals. <laughs> hate them. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. If you can't pet them or eat them, I, just, I don't see the point of animals. And this is why I'm such a big fan of this next clip. You got a monkey riding a dog while being chased by a goat. Now, normally... I have to go to one of those small Matt Damon-owned zoos to watch three animals get demeaned at the same time, but instead I get it during this very cost-effective Denver Broncos halftime show. Hey, maybe next season they can have a tuxedoed orangutan smoking a cigar or something at the coin flip and just, you know, go full redneck circus on us. Just, just throw caution to the wind with the animals. Finally, and by now you probably guessed what the number one clip is, but it's not just the best clip of the month or the year. This might be the best spectacular touchdown you will ever see, folks. Let's roll this. Bengals QB Andy Dalton throws to a wide-open Jerome Simpson in the flat. Simpson then sizes it up and does a front flip over Darrell Washington of the Cardinals. Simply, wow, that is just incredible. Now, a lot of commentators are comparing this to some sort of gymnast move, Rich Eisen. And to that, I say, how dare you? How dare all of you? Pommel horses are not trying to tackle you. And Jerome Simpson is not some weirdly muscular little girl. He is a full-grown man. Football was invented, in fact, so we wouldn't have to watch sports like gymnastics. And I am very glad it was invented because it allowed me to see the transcendental beauty that was the number one play in this month, the month of December. Fantastic, Jim. Just uh, great as always. I mean, and, and you got it all in there. I mean, you you got good Tebow, you got bad Tebow. Yeah. You, you got the kicker that you hate so much. Ugh, God, I but I, I I I do have to tell you though, I I I love the I love the dog riding monkey. You can't, like that? I can't get enough of the dog riding monkey. Yeah. Well, we I, we probably liked it for different reasons. Yeah. Because <laughs> you love animals, don't you? Richard? I do. I, I do can love tell. animals. You got that dog? I, I've seen it. Yeah, I know. I've seen him yeah. walking around. And have and have your pet spayed or neutered. Oh, right there. There's, there's there is. Right there. There. <laughs> Before I let you know, we're, we're coming down to uh, 12 teams left. Yes. For the chasing of, uh, of Vince Lombardi and yes. the trophy. Uh, what's your pick? Give me your Super Bowl pick before I let you go. I'll tell you something. It's a, it's a stupid question, which is oh, really? almost annoying. Oh, I, I don't mean to, well, I don't mean to there's offend. Only one, I mean, there's only one. You could be cute, I guess, and try to say somebody other than the Packers, but it's so obviously the Packers. Mm. What, who else are you going to pick? I mean, uh, the fifteen and one, they're defending champs. The uh, they're the only dominant team really in the league right now. So, you know, it's the only reasonable pick at all. And you know something, folks. If anybody gets cute, anybody in in the coming weeks, uh, any pundit or poet or whatever you're watching, says somebody other than good picks the the Saints or the or or the or the Steelers or or, or the Patriots, they they are they're they're a liar and a fraud. Oh. All right, they're liars and frauds because they all know it. And uh, so if you hear that, just listen to the wind, because you will hear Brock Meyer's voice in that wind calling those people liars and fraud. You know, you know who's probably, you know who probably picked San Francisco? <laughs> no. Musburger. Brent Musburger <laughs> probably got like, probably going to pick San Francisco. That, that's a kind of, just kind of punk move that makes Musburger Musburger. Brent. Yeah, I said it, Brent. 
Brent. Oh, kind boy. of a name is Brent. Anyway. I think we should get out of Dodge here before you say anything you, you regret. Yeah, Brent, it just sounds like a past tense verb. Like, I, I, I bring brought Brent. <laughs> oh, I, I brent you some pastries for the afternoon. <laughs> Jim Brockmeyer, everybody, here on the Rich Eisen Podcast. Pleasure to be here. Great show. I want to thank everybody for appearing. Um, the great Jim Brockmeyer, Michael Lombardi, Brian Williams. That was so much fun. He's I, so awesome. I had no idea he knew me that well when he was talking about the producers and yeah, the about yeah, about yeah, about having uh, a little bit too much uh, of of uh, too many what britches, pretty much. <laughs> the bravado was the. Mm-hmm. Was the I just like that the interns call him a pirate. He just stri- he's he's as he is he is as um, approachable as a person as you could possibly get. Yeah, sure. He's a good man. He's got a good family, and he's as great as he's a, he's the greatest. There's nobody. I don't think there's anybody. And better. he dropped a Bruce Springsteen reference. Uh, he's 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 pop. He's popularly cultural. Uh, he's a he's a pop culture figure himself. So, uh, and also Tony Gonzalez. Want to thank him as well, and good luck to him. Can you believe he's never won a playoff game? I mean, every year when he's in the playoffs, he makes it. I mean, it's his it's his. Um, Twelfth uh, Pro Bowl selection, right? Twelve times he's gone to the Pro Bowl, and he's and never how many won a playoff years in game. The league? He's never won a playoff game. Thirteen years. Yeah, in the league. Wow. And he's this is only his fifth playoff game. He's been one and done every single time. So good luck to him. Obviously, uh, next week we don't have a guest scheduled yet, but we've got some things really working. Some don't stuff we? in the in the. This in is the works. good. I'm excited. Uh, thank you, Chris Law. Thank you, Chris Brockman, and thanks to one and all. This is the Rich Eisen podcast presented by Bud Light. Signing off. Stay listening to 